Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I am your guest, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. As the name says, our listeners are business creators. We have our entrepreneurs, small business owners, local business owners. We have marketing and business coaches. We have the folks who help others create and grow their businesses. And on the other side of that same coin, we have the do-it-yourselfers who just like to have their own hands on the levers as they market and grow. If you are one or more of the above, in fact, many of our listeners who tune in every single week are all of the above, please take a moment, explore our episodes, discover how our guest experts help you win at the game of business and marketing at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. We're on iTunes. Make sure to subscribe. Fresh content every Tuesday. And be sure to leave a five-star rating for the episodes you love because that helps us serve more business creators just like you. Now, today, we have a treat for you. This is a gentleman I have wanted to have on the Business Creators Radio Show for a long time. And he's somebody whose name you've probably heard. He's been in the market for years. Uh, he and I were talking in the green room a little bit uh, about what it means to be an OG in the marketing industry, especially how it's evolved with the Internet and uh, what's happened here in the 21st century. When I say this name, 8 out of 10, you're going to recognize it. And 10 out of 10, as soon as you do a quick Google while you're listening, you're going to say, oh, that guy, because he has been around forever and he is going to bring you an incredible amount of brilliance. Gentleman's name is Ryan Stuman. Yes, the CEO and founder of Hardcore Closer and Break Free Academy. Just to tell you a little bit about Ryan, he's a five-time best-selling author, motivational speaker, sales coach, podcast host, blogger, and all-around entrepreneur. He's been a regular contributor to Forbes Entrepreneur, Addicted to Success, The Good Men Project, Lighter Side of Real Estate, Huffington Post, and more. Ryan is best known for consulting with alpha personality business owners on rapidly growing their sales through the use of strong marketing and advertising. With his no BS, take action approach, Ryan has been able to help high income and high net worth performers make adjustments in their businesses that unleash windfall profits. In the day and age of sales trainers, oh, I love this, guys. In the day and age of sales trainers advertising their success by bragging about the private jets and expensive cars they've been able to purchase themselves. I said, I love this. Ryan prefers to brag about the mansions and exotic cars his clients have been able to purchase through the utilization of his teachings. I love that. That right there is ride or die. His programs have propelled numerous clients from five- and six-figure incomes to seven-figure-year earners, and he has a new group he's working on each year in his top-tier program, The Tribe. Doesn't matter if you're selling cars, homes, financial services, or consulting, Ryan's Sales Mastery can help you generate higher quality leads, increase your closing ratios, and show you how to charge premium fees for the items you sell. Folks, this one's going to be fast-paced and action-packed. Take a moment right now, run and get a fresh notepad and two pens. You want two pens in case one runs out of ink. You don't have to rush and find another one while you're taking all this down. I, like you, am not only the host of the Business Creators Radio Show, but I'm a student just like you looking for the slight edge in my business, and I am excited to welcome aboard Ryan Stuman. Ryan, hello. Man, that was a uh, one heck of a uh, introduction there. I appreciate that, Adam. Did you write all that yourself? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know what? 
this guy, and I'm thinking, he must he seems like a pretty cool dude. I hope that I'm eligible to be on my own show with this guy. I mean, wow. <laughs> man, I'm just it. another guy from Texas. That's all. Nothing fancy over here, man. That's uh I'm just a I'm just a normal guy. Last night we were at the bar celebrating uh my vice president that uh, works with me. It was his birthday. We were at the bar in Dallas celebrating and uh one of our clients just shows up. I'd never met the guy before. You know, we do digital marketing and stuff. He just showed up and sat down, and, hell, we just acted like I'd never met the guy, didn't know his name or anything. We just acted like we were family. I'm just a, an average, ordinary person. Of course, we're going to have a good show, though, man. I'm excited to be on here, Adam. You know what? And, uh, you know, that's the thing, too. I'm just a regular guy uh, from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm a descendant of uh, steel workers, mine workers, and railroad workers. Just a regular average Joe who uh, had a little bit of a dream, started a business, Picked it up, moved to Las Vegas, and uh, kicking ass and taking names. So when we get guys like Ryan on the show here, we have a great amount of fun. And he is going to give us so much information, it's going to be huge in terms of learning more about closing, learning more about getting your first million as a self-employed business owner. But before we do that, what I want to do, like I do with all of our guests, just take a moment and get to know Ryan a little bit more on a personal level. So, Ryan, tell us a little bit about your journey uh, and some of your own personal experiences, which has brought you to the point where you are now and how you serve business creators, helping them at the intersection of their brilliance and passion. Well, you know, I have uh, I have mastered the art of failure, I think, and and when I say that, it's like I, I've, I grew up and I was adopted at age seven, and I dropped out of school after the eighth grade, and I got a GED and all that stuff by the time I turned 17, but I never really went to school after middle school. I, I didn't finish the ninth grade, and uh, I wound up, you know, running the streets, selling drugs, and uh, got in trouble with the law and, and ended up doing some time. And, uh, you know, got my life together inside a prison. I'm one of, like, the few stories that actually turns out for the good. But I, I got my life together in, in prison and uh, got out and, and got a job and, and never have sold drugs again since that date. Uh, but got out, got a job at the car wash, selling car washes. And one of the customers offered me a job in the mortgage business. And this was, like, 2002. This is a long time ago. Uh, offered me a job in the mortgage business, and I was able to get a license, surprisingly, and, and join the mortgage industry and became one of the top originators in the country. I mean, I was a one-man army. I was doing pr the production by myself that uh, a lot of loan officers have to take five or six people to do, and I was making a lot of money, and I was flipping houses and stuff, similar to what I do today, but as a young man in my 20s, the little small town that I lived in thought I was selling drugs again. And so right. the police came in, and I, and I obviously wasn't. The police came in, no drugs, uh, nothing illegal in the home, uh, but somehow there was this gun debacle where there's some rules in Texas versus the feds when it comes to guns, and I ended up having to go back to prison, and I went to uh, prison for the federal government, actually, so I went to federal prison uh, for firearms. And it's, a, it's, it's all in my book. It's a crazy story, but I got out. With nothing, I lost everything in my entire life, as you can imagine, after doing, uh, you know, I was a millionaire, and then I lost it all. And we came out of federal prison with $25 to my name and uh, got a job back in the mortgage business, surprisingly. <laughs> and, right. And went, went all in, and, and, you know, in 2009, the worst year uh, on record for mortgages, I closed 183 as a one-man army. 
and nice. which is a, a lot, you know, for, for that industry. It would have put me in one of the top people in the country. And, and in 2010, President Obama passed a, a law called the Dodd-Frank Act. He signed it into – it was Congress that did it, but he signed it into law. And that immediately took my license away from the state and made it have to be approved through the feds, right? And that's what they did to everybody. That was part of it. And the feds, uh-huh. because I had the, the time with them, wouldn't give me a license. And so I have been in this pattern of like, you know, make money in drugs, go to jail. Make money in mortgages, go to jail. Make money in mortgages again, like no job. And so I, I, I kept running into these walls and, tell, you know, I'm a very optimistic person. And you never expect to come home from vacation and the cops are in your house when you're not doing nothing wrong. <clears throat> you never uh, expect for things to, to, to really go bad. But I've seen a lot of worst case scenario stuff in my life. But in 2010, I had to make decisions. Like, hey, I got a limited amount of money because uh, I sure didn't see this coming. And I have a limited amount of income uh, or savings, rather, that I'm going to live on for maybe a couple of months. And I've got to find a job that doesn't require me to have a license. And I don't need a boss, man, because I don't want somebody holding this whole felon thing over my head. And because of a friend, I stumbled onto the Internet marketing world, and I thought, well, this fits that criteria. But what in the hell am I going to sell? You know, like, <clears throat> I don't know anything. I don't have a product or anything to sell. And somebody suggested, well, why don't you help loan officers do what you did as a loan officer? You're, like, really good at it. Why don't you teach other people to do it? And I thought, well, you know what? I would have the ultimate excuse to become a coach because they say those who can't play coach, right? But I literally can't play, <laughs> right? It's like <laughs> they won't let me play. Right. Whether I'm a good quarterback or not, they're not going to put me in the game. And so I, I had a, a good story, and it made sense. So that was where I started out was uh, helping loan officers just, you know, be able to generate leads from real estate agents. And from there, somehow people start calling me the hardcore closer, and that kind of stuck, and we built a brand around it. Now we've got <clears throat> a little over a quarter of a million uh, followers on social media for the hardcore closer brand. We've got, uh, you know, our break-free academy seminars. That we charge $5,000 a ticket. The last one that we did, we had 89 people here. So, I mean, our, 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 my program and my coaching stuff is like one of the top-rated coaching programs in the country. I just submitted, like I, right before we got on this interview, uh, Forbes reached out to me and they asked me a few questions for on an interview that I do every month with them. So it's crazy to think how far I come from being this dude that was adopted that had to explain to all of his friends in school why I was the same guy with a different name, <laughs> right? right, to the guy having to explain to his friends later in life why I went to prison again. This time I swear it wasn't my fault, right, and to right. now this, this world-renowned personality. It's like I said, I'm just a regular dude, but it's crazy every time I tell this story to think about the the journey that I've been on. But Adam, I think that the reason why I went on that journey was I had to earn these credentials. You know, in the sales world, it's not a bunch of, I mean, we wear suits and stuff like that, but most sales guys, they got demons, right? They go into sales because they weren't born with a silver spoon and they didn't have an Ivy League education. So sales is a place where they can make their own hours and they can make their own paycheck and they don't really have to interact with the boss that much. And I see all these other sales trainers that were out there and they, you know, they, they talk like they're trying to get your manager to hire them. Right. And I wanted to right. be the guy that's for the actual sales guy, not the sales manager. I don't want the corporate gigs. Leave that stuff to the other guys. That's cool. You know, that's, that's their thing. That's not mine. I wanted to be able to relate with the sales people. And now that a lot of people know my story every day, sales people hit me up. They're like, dude, I'm in sales for the same reason you are, man. And you're an inspiration to me. I know that if you went through all that hell and made it out on the other side, dude, 
I know I'm working over here to close sales and make it through the other side too. And I'm really a personal development guy, but we use sales yeah. as a disguise to help people because once you make more money, life gets better. I don't care what anybody tells you. You know what? Uh, you are at least the third, maybe the fourth person we've had on the Business Creators Radio Show just in the past year or so who uh, has a story that involves uh, making some mistakes earlier in life and doing your time in prison and then coming out to make a difference. And what is so beautiful, this is one of the great things that I love about uh, the new economy and the online economy and how it benefits entrepreneurship. In fact, this is one of the reasons why I continue to do the Business Creators Radio Show every single week. This is a motivating factor. This is something I think about is, the way the system is designed, uh, the idea is it picks winners and it keeps people down. So you get in this loop of you're a convicted felon. That's all you're ever going to be judged against. You ever put in a resume, they're going to say, what were you doing for the past seven to ten years there, Ryan? And uh, you'll find yourself um, in a situation where it's almost like they want you to screw up again because they want you to remain the system's slave. I mean, what, whether you agree with yeah. this or or not, I, I hear this from people, and as I said, I, I speak with a lot of folks who have gone through experiences that parallel what you have done. Now, this happens not only for people who have been in the criminal justice system, but also just people who find themselves on a certain career track or who make that one mistake when they're 27 years old and they're working in that cubicle and somehow some, some jerk uh, finds a way to make it follow them for the rest of their career and they just can't get out of the loop. What's beautiful about what we do as business creators is we allow the entrepreneur, the business creator, the visionary to just say, you know what, I choose not to play in that league and create their own game. And that's one of the many reasons I'm so happy to have you here today. So thank you for telling that story. That is so fantastic. So um, before we dive into some of these specific topics, of making a first million as a self-employed business owner and some of the things about being a hardcore closer. Uh, let's say somebody came to you and they found themselves in a place where it seemed like they just couldn't get ahead. It doesn't matter whether they were um, you know, a, a veteran of the criminal justice system or they just seem to be on a wrong career track and cannot get that thing on the rails. What would you tell them? Well, you know, the life that you're living today – is a direct result of the decisions that you have made in the past. And the only way that if you're, if you're catching hell, what, what I call hell, like the, like where people are stuck in that same, you know, some people call it the hamster wheel or whatever, but we, I call it hell, man, because that's what you're doing. You're just stuck in the same hell day in and day out. And, and so the reason why is because you keep making the same decisions, right? The decisions you made yesterday affect the way that you live today. And, most people get caught in that hamster wheel, that pattern, because they keep making those same decisions. The only way to get out of that pattern is to start making different decisions. And, you know, if you're a person, like a lot of people hit me up, this is one of the number one things that, that folks hit me up within this scenario, is they say, you know, man, my family or my friends, you know, they're always telling me that I shouldn't start my business or they're laughing at me for doing this, that, or the other, or they're always trying to bring me down or when I post something inspirational on Facebook, one of my friends or family would be like, weren't we just smoking weed the other night or some smart, you know, <laughs> some smart mouth stuff. And, and, and like, I need to, you know, I, I need to get away from them. And I, you know, they keep making the same decisions to go back and support those people's opinions. And then they don't, 
un- they, then they don't ever re- get released from those people like keeping a scrutiny on them. And I tell them, it's like, hey, you know, sometimes you got to cut ties with people and you got to make decisions that you keep making the same painful decisions to take people back and stuff. Uh, then you're going to keep suffering the same consequences and you got to make a decision to step away from those folks. You know, one of the guys that, that works for me spent uh, over a decade in prison, and uh, that's actually where I met him. And he's, uh, I mean, literally, this guy came out, didn't know nothing about the Internet, and he's our lead our lead uh, success support, which is like our, our tech support team. And, and, and so, you know, when he reached out to me, I was like, hey, man, I'm going to give you this job. And then he was a very, uh, let's say, influential person, right, uh, in, in uh, the illegal stuff business. We'll just put it that way. And so... He, you know, I'm like, hey, man, you're going to have to get rid of all this old people. You know, you're going to have to distance yourself from your friends. You're going to have to learn to live within your means, and, and you're going to have to you're gonna have to live a different life than you did before you came out here. And the only way that you're going to be able to stay away because people show up with drugs and nice cars and all these hot chicks and everything else, and you're going to be tempted, man. So the only thing that you can do is just get away from that shit, move out, move out to the other part of town where nobody knows you, come to work early, leave late. And you just got to make the decision to stay away from all those folks and change your phone number, everything. And, you know, he's done that. And, uh, and you know, he's already gotten promoted twice here in the year that he's worked for us. And, and he's a hard worker and he's followed that advice to a T, you know. And I think that's hard for most people is they get stuck in that pattern of letting other people's opinions affect them. And they make the decision to keep letting other people's opinions affect them, affect them and they never get out of that. When I went full-time in my business in September 2005, uh, my mentor um, at the time, still somebody I think of as a mentor and somebody I uh, view as one of the role models for my life, a gentleman named Stephen, uh, said, remember this day, September 2nd, 2012. So what he had me do is schedule an appointment with him for that, for exactly one year out. I was to give him a call on September 2nd, 2006. Uh, he didn't tell me why. He just said, right now, it's September 2nd, 2005. You are now officially a full-time business owner and entrepreneur. You're going to give me a call on September 2nd, 2006, and, uh, I'll explain it, and I'll explain on that day. So I called him on that day, and he, said, and, uh, he started asking me questions. But the point of it is, just to get us to the, to the gist of it is, uh, all my friends had changed. All the places I hung out had changed. All the books I read had changed. Um, I went – all the television I watched – it changed to me not watching any television, uh, just mm-hmm. my focus and what I wanted to do and the opportunity that had been given to me was so important that the changes to support it just sort of came naturally. And then he asked the question, what happened to your old friends? And I said, well, you know what? They're still my friends, and uh, if they were ever in a jam, they could call me up and I'd, I'd be there for them um, if they really needed me. And you know, I, I like to think vice versa. But the fact is, I just haven't spoken with them in a long, in a long time. And no, there was no big, uh, hey, man, I'm trying to succeed, so I can't deal with your negativity anymore type uh, Wild West showdown or anything like that. It's just a matter that uh, my time began to be allocated to a different set of people. There was nothing personal. Yep. There was no animus. There wasn't even a conversation about it. It just shifted. So that's. So that's so important. You, know, you tell us about your friend, uh, your colleague, your, your employee, and how he needed to make that change. Just get away from the old friends, change your number, move to another part of town, immerse yourself in this job, get new friends, hang out in new places when you're not working. 
uh, just change the life around you. And that in itself will influence so much uh, of what is going to, uh, of what's going to impact you. Now, you know, you and I were chatting a little bit in the green room, and I think one of the things we agree on is, um, you know, we're both, uh, you know, fairly down-to-earth guys. We're able to tell a good joke. We're both kind of sarcastic. Uh, we didn't have time to get into this, but I was going to ask you about the, uh, about the life expectancy of a vegan in a uh, Texas barbecue. Um, if they actually expected to eat there or something like that. Uh, and I was going to tell you the story about how being a vegan, I managed to uh, get a meal on a Texas barbecue. I mean, uh, you, know, you know, you being a Texas guy, you know uh, what a Texas barbecue is, a real barbecue. Before I crossed over to the, the dark side, I could have lived in one of those things for a week. And uh, one of the things I like about you, Ryan, already is, you know, you have sort of a bit of a sarcastic side to you here. So why do you think that the sarcastic people do so well in sales? You know, I wrote an article about that on my blog, and it, it's it's funny you ask that. It, it's amazing, actually. What they give you, like a couple of peppers or some lettuce or something like that? I mean, what kind of a would you get as a vegan? I know what a barbecue is. I'm now I'm hungry. I'm probably going to go eat at one after uh, <laughs> after we're done here. They, but, basic, but, basically, like what what did they give you? They they found some lettuce. They gave me a bowl of carrots and little symbols of oil and vinegar, and said, "Enjoy." Yeah, that sounds about right. It wasn't, it wasn't even on the menu. But, yeah, they brewed through and found it for me because they didn't want me to walk away empty-handed. Yeah, how, what, what kind of things do you think they said behind your back before you sat down, <laughs> right? Like, well, uh, well, we, well, we, we, could spend the rest, we could rest. We could spend the rest of the hour on what they said to my face. I mean, it was good natured and all, and you know, I laughed right along with it. And I, I kind of thought the whole situation was funny. And I was there with a, a mastermind group, and uh, you know, they kind and they knew the situation too. And I said, and I just said. Guys, you know, I'm so lucky I have those leftovers from the Chinese place last night. And everybody laughed and gone on with the meal. <laughs> Good times, man. Well, I think yeah. sarcastic people do well in sales because, uh, first, to be a salesperson, you got to have thick skin, right? And you got to be able to brush off some pretty intense moments. I, I remember when I sold cars briefly. I didn't do it very long. Uh, when I was on this entrepreneurial journey, uh, my I got married and my wife, at the time, I'm divorced from her now, but my wife at the time was pregnant with my son, so I went and sold cars for a few months uh, to get insurance, right, so that if the kid was born and something was wrong, we had medical insurance to take care of everything. And uh, so I sold cars for about six months, and that's, that's some face-to-face intense selling. Uh, I actually really enjoyed it. I didn't like the hours and stuff in the car business, but I enjoyed the sales part because I would get to sit down and negotiate with somebody, and I wanted them to have that car just as bad as they did. I was on their team, you know. But even in that situation, people would say some crazy stuff because especially car guys, they don't have, like, the best opinion of car people, and they're damn sure there's a lot of mistrust in the industry. So I had to learn how to say some funny stuff that was true but, like, hit it with the timing and rhythm just right to where it didn't sound insulting. And I think that, you know, I think that's a very definition of sarcasm, right, saying something that's completely insulting but passing it off as a joke. And right. And by insulting, I don't, I don't mean something that's truly – terribly offensive just some sometimes like people need to hear the truth and they can't hear it in a, a a blunt way so sarcasm works really well and and as a salesperson you have thick skin so you've heard a lot of stuff that you've had to shake off and sarcasm is a really good way to just combat that right and, because here's what i know funny's money man if you can make them laugh you can make them pay and i think that that's been a, a big i'm one of the funniest people i know i'm not saying that to be like a brag or whatever i'm just <laughs> 
I, I'm, I'm a funny person by nature, and, and everybody who knows me would be like, Stephen's hilarious. He's all the time up to something. And I, I take that on with the prospects, too. When I talk to somebody, if they're a complete stranger, I act like I've known them forever, and I'm always telling jokes and stuff, and I know that if I can get them laughing, they'll be comfortable with me because that's a good emotion to have, and they'll open up a little bit, right? And uh, the people that always weirded me out were the people that didn't laugh at my jokes because I know I'm funny. Because everyone around me, even when, you know, before I was the boss or any of that stuff, people would always still gather around and want me to tell them stories or, you know, make them laugh or whatever the case may be. And, you know, I, I know that I'm funny. So the people that didn't laugh at my jokes were always the ones where I'm like, these people are weird, man. They're going to be a tough cookie to crumble. They don't laugh at nothing. One time this lady, this little side story, this little sarcasm side story here, one time this man and his wife were, was shopping for a truck, and, dude, he was in love with this thing. And you could tell they were in, like, a relationship where, like, she was kind of like the boss, you know, and uh, and he'd probably been wanting a new truck for years, right, because he was in an old truck. And, man, she right. wasn't really having it, and she wasn't really nice to him, you know what I mean? She was just kind of like – so there's always one in a relationship where – not in every relationship, but in a lot of relationships where one person's not necessarily in a good mood when the other one is or – one person's maybe not as happy as the uh, as they would like to be for the other person's success or getting a gift or whatever. It was kind of that situation. Done that. Yep. <laughs> yep. Actually. And so this, she's being kind. Of, she's screwing up the deal, and it's not about the money at this at this point. This guy wants this truck, man. He can totally afford it. He's working. He's you know he's being a good husband. He's putting up with this crap, right? He's being a good husband. I'm like, this guy deserves the truck. I got to get her out of the picture where me and him can get this thing figured out. And so. When we were uh, – so when we got – I pulled the truck around because I had sat down at the table for him for a minute, and I put the child lock on the back door. So me and him are going to get in the front seat. i got to drive us off the lot. He's going to get in the passenger seat. She's going to get in the back while I put the child lock on there. And I pulled up to the front of the thing when we switched cars, and I shut the door, and I caught him in the front when we were switching sides, and she couldn't get out. She could see that we were up there talking about something, and she was in there waving, trying to get our attention, but I kept acting like I didn't pay attention to her. It's like, man, you really want this truck, don't you? Like, what do we got to do to get her on board with this thing? He's like, man, I thought you'd never ask, <laughs> right? Like, uh-huh. I had her locked in the car. And, I think, and he thought it was hilarious. He's like, she's in there waving us down, man. I was like, it's cool. I got the child locks on. She can't get out. He's like, oh, you're hilarious, right? He needed that break, you know, and, and because of that, I ended up going home in a new new truck that night. Oh, that was that was pretty bold. Actually had her in the truck and then child locked it so she couldn't get out? Yeah, and she was in the back seat, right? It was a four-door truck. And so if you turn on, like, the fours that I sold you, there's a little key thing that you just switch, and the kids can't open the door from the inside even if it's unlocked. And right. so I just acted like I didn't realize that that was what was going on, you know what I mean, and just, like, got out. But I had already set the truck up come down there because I knew we were going to have to get her out of the way. She And and, I, and we totally played it off. She's like, I've been trying to wave you guys down. What are y'all out there talking about? She's like, don't let them sell you into doing something because she was, like, that kind of person, you know. And uh-huh. uh, and I was like, well, you could have got out and talked to us. She's like, I was trying. The doors wouldn't open. I was like, oh, man. they put, Well, that's another feature about the vehicle. It keeps it safe for your kids. They won't be able to get out of the back. You've experienced it. Yourself. Ah. <laughs> so, ah, there you go. Did, did, did anyway, they have kids? Like, did they have kids? Uh, yes, they did. But like I said, it, it, yes. But it, 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 like I said, at the same time, he went home in the truck. So that was that was what mattered the most. Sometimes, like even when uh, selling houses or whatever, you can tell that one person really wants something and maybe the other one doesn't. And uh, I don't know. I just felt like he deserved the truck that day. All right. You know what? Uh, that was a pretty, if you ask me. Uh, savage move on your point. I love it. I absolutely love it. 
So, uh, you know, some of our listeners heard that you were going to be on the Business Creators Radio Show, and, uh, you know, we get emails and uh, messages on Facebook and things like that, and also on our, on, uh, we also get messages through LinkedIn because we have a LinkedIn page for the show, and uh, people ask us uh, questions when they hear about our guests. And what's the number one question that came up for Ryan Stuman, because you are the hardcore closer, has to do with overcoming prospect objections. And I know there's something specifically you teach about overcoming prospect objections within your sales pitch. Um, it starts with the idea that a sales pitch is not a one-way conversation. But I think that would be a great thing for us to share with our listeners, and they get a huge amount of value out of that. Awesome. Yeah, well, so here's the thing. Like, this is what I call the ultimate objection handling exercise, right? It's so fancy. But yeah. it is what it is. And in every business, whatever you sell, there is a finite amount of reasons somebody won't buy. It's too expensive. They don't have the time. They need to talk to their partner. They need to talk to their wife. There's like a finite amount of reasons, right? need to shop around and so on and so forth. And there's probably going to be about 20 to 25 reasons that someone won't buy from you today. And those are objections. And you need to know them up front. So the first thing you need to do for this exercise is you need to, and you don't have to do it right now because it should take you about an hour to do this, but you need to write down every objection that you get from people. You need to talk to my wife, it's too expensive, need more time, not ready to buy yet, still looking, still shopping, all that stuff. Whatever the objections, and they're different for every industry. So your objection, there's some common across the board, like it's too expensive, not ready to make a decision today, but then there's some very specific ones you get too. For uh, real estate agents, it might be, will you reduce your commission? For mortgage officers, it might be, can I get the lowest rate? Like, well, I need a lower rate. There's, like, all these objections that are industry-specific. You should have about 20 or 25. Write them down. And here's the reason. I'm not trying to give you uh, something to do just for busy work. There's a lot of psychology going on behind this because, first of all, if you write something down and you see it, then it's no longer this imaginary thing. It becomes real. I learned this in the car business. When people came in and complained, the first thing that we had them do was write their complaint on paper because then the story was the same, right? They couldn't tell the same story three different ways, which we do as humans, not to lie, but by accident because the, the, the story gets bigger every time we sell it. So the first thing we would do is we – or every time we tell it, so the first thing we would do is have them write it down. And so you need to write this down because then these objections become real. You get a new zinger thrown your way, write it down, add it to your list. And now you need to look at these objections, and you need to handle them. You need to address them on paper. So if the objection is it's too expensive, the, the uh, rebuttal might be, uh, well, you get what you pay for, and when value exceeds price, there's no such thing as expensive. Whatever it is that you want to say, don't use my tracks, use your own. Be yourself. But you know how to combat these objections. And if you don't ask another salesman that's doing better than you, uh, in your office or in your industry or somewhere in your market or a competitor or whatever the case. Connect with somebody if you don't know, but get these objections and handle them. Once you've got them all on paper, you should study them every day before you go to work, before you make your first call, before you take your first up, before you go and you prospect your first person. You should look at all these objections, know they're real, know you're going to get them, and know what you're going to say when they pop up, like flashcards. And right. that – what happens is when you know these objections, there's two things. You can handle a lot of them up front. And so now you've got these objections, and you can get a lot of them out of the way through the process. So we have a process called CATS that's like in our paid training programs. And one of the things that we do, one of the first steps is I ask somebody, I say, 
you know, hey, Adam, man, I'm really excited that you uh, you reached out to us. What part of the country are you from? And uh, obviously you would say Philadelphia, and I'd say, you know what, I have four clients right now in the city of Philadelphia, and uh, they're all getting results with our program, and they are absolutely crushing it. Two guys I know are making six-figure months right now. And so what I've done up front, and as soon as I said Philadelphia, I think you said Pittsburgh, didn't you? Yep. Or was I right? Okay, I, I knew it. As soon as I said Philadelphia, I'm like, I'm just going with it, but I'm pretty sure you said Pittsburgh no, well, it's, earlier. Yeah, anyway. yeah, it's, it's, it's Pittsburgh. You're good. <laughs> and so it, now all of a sudden I've said, okay, I've got uh, clients in that area that are getting the results that you want. I've shown them social proof, so the objection, will it work for me, is not going to come up in the end. The objection, will it work in my market, is not going to come up at the end. The objection, hey, do you have anybody who's ever done this in my area, is not going to come up at the end because I've handled it up front. Because I know in my business, those are the main objections that I get is, will it work for me? Is this compliant? Will it work in my marketplace? Do you have anybody who's done what I'm doing with success? And so I littered that into the first 30 seconds of the conversation. Hey, what's going on, man? What part of the country are you calling from? Oh, sweet. I got clients there right now that are doing six figures a month, some of them. It just on, And they think of it as just casual conversation. But me, I'm very uh, – I'm, I'm very in, intuitive, right? I do things for a, a reason. And when I'm having that conversation with somebody, it seems like very calm and just pass off like, like just chit-chat. But really what I'm doing is I'm planting those seeds so that later on in the conversation when I ask for the business, I know I'm not going to get those objections. And if I do, I'm like, oh, remember in the beginning I told you we had three people up there doing that. And so learning yeah. your objections first knowing what to say to handle them, and then weaving them through the conversation to eliminate as many of them as possible so that when you ask for the business, the only logical thing for them to do is hand you their credit card or however you do the transaction. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, that's, and what I love about that, um, I mean, I love so many things about that. I'm going to tell everybody listening right now, if you're listening live, subscribe to iTunes. Get the download. Listen to this again and again and again because every time you hear it, you will discover more that you did not hear the previous time. That's another uh, success tip along with have two pens instead of one pen with your notepad. Listen to something several times in several different places and in several, several different mindsets because you will gain different things every time. Uh, one of the things I love about this ultimate objection and handling exercise thing that you've shown us is how you actually write the stuff down and you live it. I mean, it's all you think about from when you wake up in the morning is these are my five objections and what am I going to do to overcome these objections? I mean, so you've got to master it to understand it. Yep. I mean, but again, if you get, if you're not expecting, if you go into a sales conversation without a plan and then they throw you the same, uh, the same objections every time, but you never expect it. That's almost like Lucy in the football. You know what I mean? There's Charlie Brown's only going to try to kick that thing a few more times before he finally gives up. And so right. a lot of people leave sales because they don't go in with a game plan. But if you go in expecting to hear those objections and you have a plan to handle them when they come your way, like, man, it empowers you. And then it's like, hey, it's just an objection. They're not mad at me. They're not messing with my ego. It's just an objection. I already know all about this. Here, let me help you handle it. You know, right. have you ever been on, like, a vacation to a beach place, like an all-inclusive resort? Uh-huh. Well, you know when the guys, like, walk the beach and they sell, like, the tour products or maybe they sell stuff from a store or braiding hair and things like that? Like, those guys are the coldest closers. They handle every objection you have, and they treat you with a smile the whole time because they're prepared. 
the people, they show up and they know you're going to say, I don't have time, I'm not interested, like, oh, we're just here to drink, we're not going to go and do, and they know all that stuff up front and show up and turn it around on you and sell people all day, every day, man. I was just in the Dominican. Right. It was a beautiful thing to watch those guys. I'm like, dude, I need to hire these guys to come work for me. Yeah, yeah, precisely, precisely. Uh, so, you know what, what I'd like to do now is I'd like to actually shift gears a little bit. As I said, if you're listening to this live, subscribe to iTunes and download that shit because it's really good. Now, see, now you got me, now you got me rolled into this. This is great. Um, you know, <laughs> we're, taught to, we're taught to look at role models. And I know that you've shared some of this on your blog before, but I want to share it with our listeners because they need to hear this. Um, you know, we look at you know, celebrities, whether they're in business or in entertainment or what have you, as role models because we see that they have uh, demonstrated the success that we would like to see for ourselves. But who are some of your uh, favorite celebrities who you view as being, as you like to say, badass salespeople? Well, you know, I, uh, I wrote an article about this. I think the greatest salesperson on the planet right now is Jeff Bezos. And yes. the reason, reason why is nobody's selling more than he is right now. Like, that's a fact. True. There's nobody selling more than he is right now. And he is what I would consider a modern salesperson like myself. You know, what, what we teach uh, at Hardcore Closer and at Break Free Academy is what's called modern sales. So it's not cold calling and door knocking. It's how to sell your stuff online whether you have a right. physical product or whether you sell a coaching service or whatever, it's all about selling stuff online. And I think Jeff Bezos has obviously mastered that. And if you've watched him, he went from this timid internet geek to now he uh -huh. looks like freaking the guy from Breaking Bad. You know what I mean? And, yeah, and yeah, yeah, Gates, yeah. I must, I, I, I must interject here. You remember I saw this meme. It's like uh, you see the picture of him from 1998. He's wearing the sweater with the, the collar and his shoulders are sort of hunched. He says, Hi, my name is Jeff Bezos, and I sell books. And then you have him in 2017. He's wearing the vest, and you know he's he's straight up. He's got the shaved head and and, and, the, and the reflective sunglasses. And he says, "I'm Jeff Bezos. I sell what the fuck I want." Yeah, yeah, man. You know, and <laughs> dude, and he can afford the best health care, so he's probably you know like I mean, we never saw Gates make that transformation. You know, Gates, right. like, he's still a nerd today. Like, no offense, but he's still a nerd today. He's a great guy. He's doing awesome stuff with his foundation, but he's still nerdy Bill Gates, you know. And But we watch Bezos make that change. We watch the guys at Google go from, like, these kind of nerdy tech guys to where they turned into these, like, full-blown, you know, like, they just grew up and, and matured, and we've watched Bezos do that. So he's obviously someone uh, – I've read his book. Uh, dude, I, I obviously spend more money than i probably like to admit on Amazon every month. And uh, my, <laughs> one of my biggest problems in life – one of my biggest problems in life right now, Adam, is like, what the hell am I going to do with all these damn boxes, right? So, uh, you know, because they pile up. You get a, We got Amazon Prime here in Dallas, and so, like, you order something in 30 minutes, it's at your house, including food and groceries. So, like, why go anywhere? You know, I can just order it from the office, and by the time I get home, it'll be sitting on my porch. And, uh, and so, man, that's, that's, that's a salesman that's handled every objection, you know? I don't trust online orders. It's okay. We'll refund your money. No questions asked. Just send the stuff back to us. Well, you know, I've still got to go to the grocery store. It's okay. We own Whole Foods. We'll deliver great food right to your doorstep fresh. Right? Well, you know, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for that. It's cool. We got, we got drones. You know, they handle every objection. Yeah, I've got what a Whole Foods say? right down the street for me. I'm wait, I've got a Whole Foods right down the street for me. I'm waiting for them drones. Yep. Yep. It's coming, man. And they're, they're, before long, I believe you're going to be able to walk into Whole Foods and you're not going to have to check out. 
It's going to know who you are. You're going to turn your phone on. You're going to pick up your items, and you're going to walk out, and it's going to charge you. And, and it's going to restock itself. Dude, they're creating the, the like, touch-and-feel uh, supermarket of the future, and, and most people don't even haven't even picked up the signals yet. And, uh, yeah. dude, it's pretty amazing. <clears throat> if you've read this book, uh, who's another hero of mine, a guy named Peter Diamandis, uh, he's yep. got a book called Abundance, and, and in that book he talks about how, like, originally hydroponic stuff was for people that grew marijuana because you needed to do it indoors so that the police and stuff couldn't see it in the field and all that stuff. Well, now they're uh-huh. growing vegetables hydroponically, which means a couple, like, they're growing everything hydroponically, which means a couple things that instead of having to till up the soil and put all the CO2 emissions and everything else that tears up the ozone, uh, they can actually vertically farm inside these abandoned skyscrapers in urban areas. And so if you have a 30-floor uh, uh, skyscraper and you're growing tomatoes on floor five and watermelons on floor six and you, you've got, you know, your okra on floor seven and you can be delivered and distributed fresh in urban areas and you don't need pesticides because you're not outdoors anymore. You just keep the bugs from going into the building. And right. And so like that, when that takes full effect because it's already starting. And uh, when that takes full effect, and I imagine Amazon's going to take it over, we're going to be able to get farm-fresh stuff that was actually grown in a skyscraper in the middle of the city. How crazy is that? I think it's freaking awesome myself because I am all about conservation and I'm all about uh, repurposing the stuff that otherwise is getting left behind. I, I mean, I live in Las Vegas, as you know, and I look I, – I get up like maybe I get up on that on, – on that, uh, that Ferris wheel, the link, or I get up on top of one of the mountains, I look down into Las Vegas and I see all these rooftops that have that big, thick red thatching or whatever the heck you call it. And I'm saying to myself, Mm -hmm. why do we not have 50% of these covered with solar and become a net exporter of energy and the other 50% covered with gardens and become a net exporter of food right from here in the desert? We have sunlight 358 days a freaking year. Why are we not doing this? Why do we have to have these stupid red thatched roofs that nobody looks at anyway? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, you know, the people before uh, our generation, they didn't know all the stuff that we know. And so they've been building houses the same way, and laws are in effect and rules and aesthetics and all this stuff. But I believe within a generation or two, like maybe the people a little bit younger than us, I'm 37, maybe the people that are in their teens now, uh, there's somebody in that demographic that's going to show up and, and change the way things are done. And uh, we'll see because, you know, we're heading into a time of, like Peter Diamandis talks about, we're heading into a time of abundance. The news would have you think that, you know, ISIS is around every corner and our president's evil and the guy from Russia's evil and the guy from Persia's evil or uh, Iran's evil and everybody's evil and there's people killing in your backyard. But the truth is it's the safest time ever, man. You can't, like, we used to walk out our front doors and get attacked by wolves. I haven't seen a wolf in my entire life outside of the zoo or Discovery Channel uh, special. And, I've seen, I've you know, seen they say it, there's like. I've seen a wolf. It was my buddy's pet. I mean, uh, come on, we've even managed to, oh. you know, <laughs> turn wolves into pets. Come on. Exactly. And, you know, when, used to, when you go down a dark alley, you, like, you, you fear, like, maybe there's somebody in there. Nowadays, you know there's cameras watching everything, so people ain't trying to get in trouble. They're like, dude, there's cameras everywhere. You can't commit crimes anymore. You can't beat somebody's ass on the street. Somebody can't beat you up on the street. There's cameras everywhere. It's almost impossible to do anything without being monitored from some angle 
or another. And and so like most people are very aware of that. So they just it's a safe time to be alive. But everything would have you be told that you know we live in this like horrible thing, and the president's going to get us all thrown into hell, and and these other countries are all going to kill. It's not the case, man. Because people in other countries are doing the same thing me and you are doing right now. The majority of them, they're working, trying to figure out how they're going to feed their family and how they're going to yep. live a life and continually level up. You know, like that's that's what people worry about. And so that book Abundance is really good. And then. Uh, so I, I would say that Jeff Bezos and Peter Diamandis are two people that are paying really close attention to as heroes. Yeah, I would say I would say so as well. And you know, you know, we're a non-political show here, but I will say this: that, you know, if you look at what passes for news these days, it's more infotainment than actual information, and it's designed to get you emotionally involved. If uh, I mean, it's ideologically slanted and whatever they're saying, and if it's something you like hearing, you stay tuned in because you want to hear more of that stuff because it reaffirms your own worldview. And if it's something that you don't like hearing uh, or it's about a person you don't like, you want to keep tuned in because now it's got you angry and you want to get all the dirt you can. Meanwhile, the most, most of us are like scanning our news feed once a day just to see what's up and if it actually matters and going about uh, building a world of abundance. That's what 99% of us are doing. Yep. <clears throat> yep, that's exactly right. You know, um, here, I've never voted my entire life, so, like, I, I really just don't care. It's like, here, they got CNN on every single day, and I watch the people walking down the corridors to the office, like here at my corporate office. And in the corridors, there's TVs, and so they're usually on Fox and CNN and MSNBC and all that stuff. And I walk and I get on the elevator and I just hear people getting triggered and complaining about stuff that don't even matter. Like take your ass right. to work. None of this even matters. Seriously. So, but yeah, yeah, that's the world we live in. But I write for some major publications. I won't throw their their names out, but you can figure it out. And man, they don't really like. I, I'm not the guy to do this, but dude, I can write a, a story about like the president or the past president or something like that. There really ain't much checking going on. I mean, like in all reality, I'm a guy with an eighth grade education that stumbled my way into having a successful business, and I write for these major publications, and I can write pretty right. much whatever I want. So I can see how somebody with ulterior motives or or maybe not as good as intentions as mine, because uh, I only write about business anyway. But I can see how they can right. get in there and you know get a bunch of shares on their stuff and it basically be a blatant lie. So. But anyway, right, we got a little right. uh, we got a little off on that tangent there, but it was a good time well, <laughs> while we were these, there. <laughs> you know what? That's actually useful though because it puts some perspective on what it takes to really be successful. And if you're getting sucked into that stuff and you're having debates on on Zuckerbook and LinkedIn and everything all day long, uh, in the end, how many how many how much closing are you actually doing? How many customers are you actually serving uh, by sharing those memes and and getting into these? You know, these vicious debates with people you don't even know and you'll never even meet. For what? For what, really? You should be off closing yeah. something. So let's get back on track and bring our listeners with us here. And uh, what I'd like to do now, I mean, this, this time is flying by. We've got about 12 minutes left here, and I do want to give a couple minutes at the end hey, just for cow. you. Is, uh, I know, it is zooming here. So let's kind of get to the topic of what we're going to talk about, your first million dollars is a self-employed business owner. And rather than come up with a fancy question here, I'm just going to lay it out. Uh, let's say I'm a guy who walks up to you. 
I got uh, $33 in my pocket, and I just managed to pay the rent. So I know I got a roof over my head for another month. Uh, my cat still got food to eat, and I, uh, and I know that there's a good chance I might get to uh, enjoy three squares a day myself for at least the foreseeable future. Higher than that, that's all I got, but I want to have a million dollars as a self-employed business owner, an entrepreneur, a business creator. What are my steps? Step one, when you get your first check, don't go buy something stupid with it. You know, a lot of people in business, they, they close a sale and then they go buy a expensive purse or a Rolex or a nicer car or something. Man, don't do that, right? Like, don't. You've got to always invest back in your business. So I'll tell you my personal story of how I got my first million. So in 2013, I was, like, out of money, and I was at this guy Kevin Nation's house, and I had spent my last dime to get there. And it was like $25,000, and I had financed it, and I, that was all I had. And I had made my last payment, and I was dead-ass broke. And there was a guy there named AJ, and uh, AJ tells me, you know, that I need to check out this uh, Facebook ad to, and get some leads in because they know I'm a salesperson. And so AJ, he sets me up with the, uh, the Facebook ad and shows me how to do it. He's the first person to ever teach me how to run Facebook ads. He sets it all up, and then what happens is he puts in $100 a day as, like, the budget. Well, I ain't got 100 bucks. Like, I'm lucky if I'm going to be able to get on the plane and pay for the taxi to get me to the damn airport when we get out of here, right? And so I'm panicked. And, but we had a good plan, AJ and I, and we started getting leads. And I, if, if the plan wouldn't have worked, I would have been out that 100 bucks per day, depending on how many days we ran the damn thing, and I had no money to get with. But instead, we put together a plan, we got it to work, and we invested my last dollars literally into advertising. And by lunchtime that day, I had generated a few leads, and by the end of the day, I had made about two or $3,000, and by the end of the next day, I had made ten grand from $150 ad spend. And instead of, you know, like most people, when they get ten grand, they are like, oh, I'm in Vegas, it's time to celebrate. I didn't, man. I invested that money right back into the business. I hired an assistant. And then I started investing more money back into advertising. And the one thing that I learned early on in the game was how to run ads, not just on Facebook, but on Google, YouTube, and, and how to make funnels and all that stuff. I've been doing that for a long time. It was one of the first things that I learned in this business. And because I've got a lot of returns, now I've lost my ass in advertising just like everybody else has. I have yeah. bad experiences. But I, know, but I know the best bang for your buck is to invest in getting more people through the door of your business. In my business, that means people giving me their name, email address, and phone number wanting to know more about our sales stuff. In your business, it might mean, you know, people's name, email address, and phone number of people who are about to move, and you're a moving company. It doesn't matter what it is. You've just got to be able to, uh, you know, be able to not spend that money but invest in advertising. And so I continued down that path from 2013 until 2015, I believe, was our first – no, I'm sorry, 2000, it's 2017. Damn, time flies by. So 2016 was our first year that we passed a million. Now, I have been grazing the thing. In 2015, I think I did like six or 700. And then in 2016, we did uh, right at 2 million in gross sales. And the big change was I kept investing in my business. I never pulled my chips out. Still today, we'll probably do 6 million this year. Uh, but still today, I kept investing in my business. I never pulled my cash out. I never went and bought the Rolex. I never, my wife doesn't roll around in Christian Louboutin shoes. Like we don't get down like that. And I kept investing in the business. I've hired more people 
and I've hired more people to do the stuff that I didn't think anybody but me could do. I didn't think anybody else could teach funnels but me, but I got two guys doing it now. I didn't right. think anybody could teach Facebook ads but me, but I got somebody that's good enough that's doing it now. I didn't think somebody could support our clients as good as me, but I've got somebody who's better than me at doing that. And so that's allowed me to free up my time to do more of the money-generating things, uh, which is getting leads in the door and writing the advertisement and putting together the sequence that we need to be running on our next products and stuff like that. And that's really been the thing that's taken me to the million dollars. So instead of me cashing chips all along the way, and I'll give you an example. I met a guy at a conference once, and he told and he was telling me he was making about $3 million a year, and he said that, you know, at the end of the day, he puts all the money every month that's left over. He pays himself with it uh, through a commission check. And I said, well, I leave all mine in the company. And he goes, why would you do that? What if someone sues your company or blah, blah, blah? And it's like, I think sue you, sue your company. That doesn't matter. I'm not really worried about that because we do good by our customers. But what I am worried about is that I want the company to be the thing that has the reserves, not me. And I want to live within my means and pay myself a salary and – but I want the company to be the thing that has the money because in the event that I need a $100,000 in an advertising campaign that's a sure thing to work, I don't want to have to go pull it out of my personal account and loan it back to the company and stuff like that. And right. the company, But if I need money, I can always take a check from the company, right? But that's what's allowed me, I think, to consistently grow is I'm not the guy that's, that's cashed out and, and taking exotic first-class vacations all around the world and stuff like that. That's just not how, how I roll. I keep investing in my business. And so it's like gambling. You know, I've, I've been gambling, and, and I haven't cashed in my poker chips, and I just keep making the same bet and pulling chips in, same bet winning, pulling chips in. And so uh, if you're going to hit your first seven figures, you're not going to be able to do it alone most likely. And scaling and investing back in your business instead of investing in things and material stuff, scaling and investing back in your business is going to be the fastest way to uh, – to hit that million dollar mark. It took me six years yeah. to be able to make seven figures in 12 months. Yeah. What you've given us, Ryan, is a lot of mindset stuff. You know, people uh, criticize me when I tell them about how I live, uh, you know, with the business I have and everything else. I, I live in a, uh, I live in a two bedroom apartment. Uh, what I love about this place most is it has a really, 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 really nice balcony. That's like the most important thing to me about my living space. And the community has multiple swimming pools, some of which are open 24 hours. That's all I care about. I don't even have a lot of furniture in here because having a lot of furniture and a lot of decorations and stuff means you have to clean. And so I get the questions like, well, well, but, but what about visitors? How do you entertain people? My answer is very simple. When I, go, when I do my entertainment, I go out for my entertainment. I go out in the world. That's my, that's my time to interact with other people because being naturally introverted myself, um, I do my best in social situations when I go to social situations rather than create them. And as far as bringing a woman home, you know, she's got to bring some, she's got to pass some tests. You know what I mean? So, uh, <laughs> so I'm not too worried about having the nicest couch. I, I got a, I have a comfortable couch. I'm not worried about having the fanciest knickknacks. I have the decorations that add to the ambience of my home and nothing more. And the reason I live this way is because I don't want to own a house and sink. Uh, a portion of my revenue into something that uh, is stationary that could become a white elephant. I like knowing that I'm, I'm in Las Vegas right now, and if I decide that uh, next year I want to be in Phoenix, Arizona, that I can just let the lease run out, or I could even pay the penalty and get out of the lease, and there's nothing that's going to hold me, and all my stuff will fit in one truck. I like that, because that lets me keep more money in my business where it's serving me better. 
Yep, same here. Same here. Yes. So we actually are uh, pretty near the top of the hour. We have just a couple minutes left, and I did promise that uh, we'd give you a couple minutes here, Ryan. So tell us about, uh, you know, more about how you and what your offerings do to serve our business creators and how somebody can get engaged with you if they want to get started. Because I think there may be somebody listening here who's uh, getting ready to take some action. Awesome. Well, I'll make it easy for you. I'd like to give your listeners a paperback copy of my best-selling book called Elevator to the Top. It's everything you need to know about sales from day one to retirement. And uh, we've sold like 20,000 or maybe 50,000. We've sold a lot of copies of it. And uh, it's it, we've given away tens of thousands of copies as well. And I'd like to give your audience a copy. You just go to elevatortothetop.com. That's elevatortothetop.com. And uh, you can get the book there. It's entered your details. You can get a, a book shipped right to your house. And then you'll see some of the other stuff that we offer as well. You get to take a look at my funnel. And uh, we'll send you some follow-up emails and some stuff that will help you out. There's, uh, there's a lot of different options you can choose uh, once you go over there. But make sure you get that book at elevatortothetop.com. And from there, you can find me on social media and, and all that other good stuff uh, once you hop over to that website. Yeah, well, I'll make absolutely certain to uh, connect with you on social media. I mean, I think I've been following you for a while, but I'll make absolutely sure we're connected. And, uh, you know, you, um, and you make a very good point here. You just invited folks to take advantage of your free book uh, that's going to answer a lot more of these questions um, in a zone and in a place that will make more sense to them, and to just watch what you do. Uh, while there is absolutely no substitute, I'm going to say this right now, there's no substitute for trying to to actually investing in a coach and investing in a mentor like you who can help them with their funnels and help them with their closing strategies, you still can get priceless insights just from participating in other people's funnels and seeing some of the things they do. You're not going to get the whole story because you're not going to see the psychology behind it. That's why they need to invest in you. But take advantage of what Ryan's just offering you here because this is absolutely priceless, and you're going to be learning from one of the most badass closers I know uh, on how to do this stuff. So, Ryan Stuman, uh, the hardcore closer, I want to thank you so much for being here today. As I said, I've been looking forward to this for a long time, and it's been an honor, and believe me, an education. Yeah, you know, I appreciate you having me on here. That, the, our time flew by for sure, man, so that meant that it was definitely a good time. Absolutely. So, you know, we'll keep in touch, and I encourage our listeners to keep in touch with you as well. Take advantage of your book offer, and uh, and we'll definitely talk some more. Maybe we'll have you back sometime in the relatively near future and get into some topics we still need to cover. I think that'd be pretty cool, so we should talk about that. Uh, but at any rate, for right now, uh, thanks again for being here. This is Adam Homie, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreators.com radioshow.com where we help you win at the game of business and marketing. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.